Joe Orth and I are starting a podcast. What should we call it? Hey, don't pick on me. You know why? Because this is why. Well, let's see what he says. The Joe Show. <laughs> Give Joe the business. That's right. Cup of Joe. Cup of Joe. What is happening here? Would you listen? We'll give you a chance. Thank you. Uh... That's Joe. And that's Rooster. And this is the Together We Shall podcast, episode 31. What's going on, man? I thought about trying it, but then like I panicked again because I don't know if it's one or 13. But I want to like do it. I want to get back to it, but on like yeah, the ones that make sense. But clearly it doesn't make sense. Some people are like, what is he talking about? Joe likes to take but his That hands. was also 31, right? I'm looking like, yeah. That was also my football number for uh, three years, too. I did fun, not know that. Fun fact. That yeah. is a fun fact. It's St. Patrick's Day week. That's uh, something you also uh, like to enjoy. However, the festivities going, if not already started. Uh, yeah, they started uh, this past weekend for us. Uh, so that was cool. We boys had soccer uh, Saturday morning. Then we cruised downtown. Uh, missed the parade, but uh, caught probably the the more fun stuff of the the after parties and such. So mm-hmm. prepping for actual Hattie's Day on what Friday, Saturday. Yeah, I think it's Friday. You you say it isn't so more fun stuff. The after party, say it isn't so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does mean, it? You know, yeah, I, I like fair. to enjoy a, a cold libation. It's fair. Okay, that's good. Cold libations are good. All the different varieties. I did wear my green today. Green, you know. The, do people still pinch folks on the day? If I if I get pinched, I, I'm pinching back harder. I don't want to be pinched. Yeah, is that? that was but is it still thing growing up though? I don't know. You don't know. Is it a thing today? Do you know? You probably can't. Like, yeah. I, I feel Assault? like. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I guess I'll take Friday when the kids get home from school. Like, I don't know. <laughs> one of them's bruised up on the arm all yeah. over the other. The other one's dad. Look what I did. <laughs> yeah. Then some some dad's like calling me. I'm like, I, bro, I didn't do it. I wasn't there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Fun. Well, um. I, I'm not going to banter with you anymore because I got so many things that I want to dive into with our guest today. So uh, without further ado, we're just going to jump right in. Hello, man, Manion, Madame Ryan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We are wonderful. Uh, as you can tell, our energy is high on this uh, St. Patrick's Day week. So we always like to ask our guests, where are you coming from, like physically? And why do you think you're on the Together We Shall podcast? Ooh, okay. Well, I am coming from uh, Doylestown, Pennsylvania, about 10 miles outside of Philadelphia. And um, I, wh- why am I on the Together We Shall podcast? I don't know, because uh, you guys are awesome guys that um, that I've had the opportunity to get to know. And I, and I, and I think, you know, what's so funny is, uh, like, I knew Joe before I knew you, Brewster. And you do, obviously, you've been such a huge part of the Travis Manion Foundation, but I remember meeting Joe, I mean, it was, it was probably five or six years ago, Joe, like at that yeah. starting line, and you saw 16? me. 16? Yeah, yeah, so even longer, and you saw me sitting there with, like, tr- pushing my cousin in probably the worst adult jogging stroller known to man, and I think you felt bad for me, so you struck up a conversation and that's when i first learned about ansley's angel so um yeah it's kind of crazy i think part of the reason like why it seems uh maybe like it's gone so fast is because we didn't have those two or three years at the starting line together um 
but excited to be back there for sure. Yeah. Joe and I revisit that story from time to time, um, especially when we look back on just how far the relationship really between Ainsley's Angels and Travis Mannion has has gone um, since then. It was a, it was kind of a slow start, but it was a right start. It was so cool. And of course, we had a chance to provide a chair uh, to your cousin. Uh, one of the Phoenix chairs in the event that she ever wants to roll again, she's got a chair ready to go. So that's fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, we got to get her out there for sure. Uh, and Joe has pointed out to me, Hey dude, you know, I, I met Ryan and TMF like well before you. So <laughs> just because you're a Spartan leadership program grad and CDM mentor, like, Hey bro, don't forget where it started. <laughs> uh... It was funny too, because when that all happened, you know, I, I it was like, I had met Joe and, you know, he was telling me the story. And then when you kind of got involved in TMF, like, I was like, wait, are, is this all connected? It, it took me a minute to piece it all together. So, um, yeah, but it's yeah. good stuff. Joe proudly still has the wristband that you gave him that day. I'm surprised he hasn't pulled it out and shown it to you. No, I have a different one because it's like, it's a smaller one, but I, because I was given like the adult size that day and child size wrist uh but i do still have it it's in like i have this little like watch jewelry thing that it's still there awesome so ryan those are none of the reasons why we've asked you to uh come on the podcast the reason that we've asked you to come on the podcast in march is because it's women's history month and you are so humble that you're going to be like whoa 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 women's history month i'm y'all's age and i am not historic why why and my answer is because it, with Women's History Month comes a time, frankly, to give to give credit and celebrate the immeasurable impact that women have had across our country and the globe. And I've had an opportunity to kind of observe from afar the things you've done in your personal life as well as with the foundation. And it's something that we want to recognize and celebrate and, and give you a, a platform that otherwise you might not have through that you know our audience um to share some of the things that um that i'd love you to share about so that's why you're here okay well i like that i don't really feel worthy of that but i appreciate it nonetheless that's fair it's, it's fair that you don't feel worthy but i think by the time the podcast is over um, our audiences are going to beg to differ so um back in 1987 is whatever it became a thing the national women's history project and um this is after President Carter had said, hey, we're going to we're going to move forward with this. And by presidential proclamation, we're going to have a, a history month. And then Congress adopted it. So it's like a real deal congressionally approved. And it, and it actually uses the words like forever in the proclamation. Mm. Um, so th there's no intention to take it away. Um, it was March of uh, 87 when it became officially Women's History Month. So 87, like. I'm pretty sure we were all born by that point, but um, what, can you give us, can you take us back a little bit if we're going to talk about history? Like, can you take us in your own version? How did you get from there, meaning a military dependent, all the way to now the president of a um, veteran service organization? You're like, Rooster, I can't do that. That's too much. <laughs> but, That's a long story. Um, yeah. So let's see. In 1987, I was seven years old and I was living in Monterey, California. My dad was um, at the Naval Post Grad School there. And um, and I was a military child. I, you know, I was, I had, my brother and I were 15 months apart. We were born in, in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and moved around a lot as, as children. 
And um, we settled here um, right outside of Philadelphia. My dad did 11 years of active duty and then an additional 19 years in the reserves. And he will tell anybody that is listening um, that is getting out of active duty service to suck it up and um, do the reserves. It's the best thing you can do. Um, that's always his his guidance and advice. But we moved here right outside of Philadelphia. So very um, suburban, uh, not a lot of military um, presence where, where I currently live. And so I definitely felt, my dad took a job with Johnson & Johnson, but I definitely felt a little bit, I don't want to say outcast, that's not the right word, but I definitely felt a little bit different, right? So when I would say my dad was a Marine, like the, the boys would get scared and, you know, and the girls didn't know what that meant. So that was like a little bit of my identity that honestly, I tried to just kind of like not talk about. Um, I didn't really embrace my uh, military upbringing for a long time. You know, people ask me, oh, what does your dad do? I'd say he works for Johnson & Johnson. And guess what? Everybody else's dad worked for Johnson and Johnson or another pharma company. We're in a big pharma company area. A lot of people, you know, that's where their parents work. And um, so I didn't really like talk about that side of, of my life. And the fact that, you know, until I got to, until I was a teenager, I moved every two years and I tried to just like be as normal as possible. Um, and, you know, when my my brother was 15 months younger than me. He was a grade younger than me. And my brother was quite the opposite. My brother like was super proud of my dad and like loved talking about, you know, as my dad was being promoted and, you know, he would, you know, talk about that. Um, he would talk about the idea of joining the military at some point, but really for him, it was um, about athletics. And um, he was, you know, I always say like he was a standout athlete and he was a standout student. And I say that because I was the exact opposite. I was a subpar student and I was a good athlete, but I could have been an exceptional athlete. I did nothing to enhance my athletic abilities. And my dad actually always used to tell me, Ryan, you have the natural athleticism you know, and, and you do nothing with it. And I think that was his way of trying to like, get me to wake up, but he would be like, you know, your brother's not the natural athlete you are. And I'd be like, okay, then I don't really have to do too much. Right. But, um, I was much more concerned with my social life and, you know, what I was going to be doing on the weekends. Um, and my brother had found this like beautiful balance of, you know, he was very well liked in school. He had a ton of friends. He had a great social life, but, he had no problem staying home on a Friday night, lifting or, you know, working out with my dad or my uncle, where I would be like, why would you ever stay home? Right. It was like foreign. And so I look back on that time, but there was no jealousy involved. There was no, I was never like jealous of him and the attention that he got because he got a lot of attention. By the time he was a sophomore in high school, he was already an all American wrestler. And, you know, I mean, Everyone came to all of his sporting events. You know, he was he was all American in wrestling, all state in lacrosse and football. So he was this three star athlete. And it was kind of like, what do you wh which direction are you going to go in after high school? And like, I loved being his biggest cheerleader. Like, I never missed a match. I 
still, I was just at a, um, I was just at a basketball game with my daughter and it was in a gym where my brother had won probably the, the biggest match of his entire uh, high school career. He wrestled up to, to wrestle a heavyweight that was probably 85 pounds larger than him, but he had to wrestle the heavyweight in order for their team to win. And it was this Greek guy that during the national anthem, um, he didn't face the flag and he stared at my brother um, the entire time the national anthem was playing, turned his back to the flag. And my brother ended up beating him by a point. And it was, and I was in the front row, just like losing my mind. But I think about like back in those days when my brother would walk out, he, he, he never lost a match in, you know, in regular season in high school. And my brother would walk out and the, the, the gym would just like everybody in the gym would just start chanting. It's all over. Like that, you know, when Travis walked out. So I think about those things and just, you know, it was just such great memories, but I digress, you know? So again, like Travis went, he followed this like amazing path that he certainly earned, got an appointment to the Naval Academy. I ended up going to Widener University in Philadelphia, um, which many don't know is actually my dad's alma mater. That's where my dad went to college and played lacrosse. And so I went there and played lacrosse. There was a division three school and um, formerly it was uh, Pennsylvania Military Academy um, and then changed to a regular university. And so I always say like, well, I actually followed in my dad's footsteps, you know, I went nice. modern, but I made it through. I graduated. I thought that I wanted to be a small business owner. I, I think for me, like the idea of authority, I didn't want any, I didn't want to answer to anyone. I didn't want to get my, I didn't want to work for anyone. And so I took out some small business loans um, before I graduated from college. And I was super into like fashion and I'm like, I'm going to start my own clothing store. And I did, um, you know, with a buttload of credit card debt. I started a, a, a small high-end women and men's clothing boutique in New Jersey. And um, I, I got, I, my husband proposed to me the night before I graduated college. It was like, you know, I was following this like very linear. Okay. I got, I got the husband, I've got the business. Um, we got married in the June, the following year, by August, I was pregnant with my first child. And, um, and again, watching my brother. So on the other side, my brother's like, graduating from the Naval Academy. And we both graduated college the same year, mind you, because it took me five years to graduate college. Um, so, you know, I graduate, he graduates, and then he's off to basic training, right? And um, and just a few months later, he's in Iraq. And again, just like tremendous pride. Like I was so proud of him. And, um, but I also um, was a little bit naive to really kind of the the circumstances that were happening within our nation I and I I just kind of focused on like Travis going and coming home and like when was the next time I was going to be able to hang out with him um I'm getting very long-winded no you've done great thank you so you've taken us all the way from when you were born to when your brother was going to Iraq that's impressive I didn't go to college but it did take me five years to get out of high school right I played lacrosse um but I in football, but I didn't like like you. I didn't I wasn't staying home to do anything on Friday night. Like I was gone. I like was late to practice, did the bare minimum and like played played in the games. And that was it. There was no like extra outside of school. There was no extra athletics or extra study. But yeah, it took me five years to, to graduate high school. Fun fact. 
I had a bunch of connection points too, and I'll just kind of point them out real fast. Number one, uh, Ainsley was also born on Camp Lejeune, uh, as was her younger brother, who was within 18 months or so of her. Um, Joe was an active duty Marine and then became a reservist, which he still is today, despite his facial hair there. And, <laughs> Don't worry about that. And, yeah, and, and a whole bunch of other things that I was like, connection point, connection point, connection point. So so it's neat. And and one of the things we, we've kind of learned together through some of the curriculum and things that Travis Main Foundation highlights is this idea of making meaning of your story and by by listening to other people's stories intently you can find that you have so much more in common than not kind of yeah. cool how that works. So thank you for telling us and taking us all the way to that point. There were some nuggets I did not know. Yeah. You know, sharing your story, being open about your story is I look back and I'm like, God, I think about like where I am today and like how driven I am. And man, if I could have just had this like spirit and, you know, this inside of me, at a younger age, I, I think about like maybe some missed opportunities. Well, I mean, the Travis Manion Foundation has a lot of values. And the one that stands out to me based on what you just kind of said is this idea that, you know, purpose begins with passion. And maybe it just took a little while for the whole passionate side of you to just, I'm passionate about these things. And suddenly you found your purpose. I mean, is that fair? Well, yeah, absolutely. I would say on some levels, it's my biggest regret that like I didn't become the best version of myself until I lost my brother, right? And and why did it take that happening for, you know, I think about all the things and, and the marathon being the perfect example of that, the Marine Corps marathon. Like uh, I hate running. I've always hated running. And my brother, again, he, he would just get out and be like, but I'm going to run a 5k. I'm going to do a triathlon. And he would just go out and do it constantly be like, Ryan, let's go run this 5k. And I couldn't have been quicker to say no until he finally just kind of gave up. Like he wasn't even going to attempt to do that with me. You're right. To, to ask me to, to run with him or to partake in like a, a race with him. You know, when he signed up for the Marine Corps marathon, he signed up two weeks before he was killed. And he called my dad from Iraq and was like, dad, why don't you and I run the Marine Corps marathon together? Like the registration just opened. My dad had run it. Like he had said, you know, I kind of hung up my marathon shoes, but when your son calls you from Iraq, you're like, yeah, sure. I'm going to, sure. I'll sign up too, bud. So they signed up. But I think about like, my brother didn't even question asking me to do that. Right. And so after he was killed, we were actually sitting in my parents' family room, and there was, this was maybe a week later, and there were still tons of people showing up at my parents' house every day, and um, there was a lot of people in the room, and my dad said, you know, kind of talking about, like, what comes next, my dad's like, well, you know, I, I signed up for this marathon with Travis, so, you know, I'm, I'm running it, because we're both registered, and I'm running it, and it was, I always say it was like this scene from a movie, because it, everybody in the room was like, I'm running it with you, Colonel Manning. And I'm talking about like people that had never run a mile before, you know, and I'm watching like, are these people nuts? They're all like, yeah, we're running it with you. And I actually started staring at like a piece of frayed carpet, like head down, eyes locked in, like I'm not picking my head up. And when I did, 
literally every person in that room had committed to running the marathon with my dad, except for me. And everyone was staring at me. And I so badly wanted to say like, yeah, I'm going to be there with the sign for all you guys as you run the marathon. But, you know, the pressure was on me and it was not like I said yes to running that marathon because of the pressure, not because I truly wanted to run that marathon. And I think about that process that was in, I started my training for that marathon on June 1st, Travis was killed April 29th. So, you know, roughly a month later, I, I started my training plan and I think about how therapeutic that was. And I actually ran Travis's iPod came back from Iraq. And it was like an old, you know, thick, clunky one. But I ran with it and it had all the music he was listening to in Iraq. And so that for me was like my connection to him. But as I started running, I all of a sudden found this great love for what I was doing. Like, I mean, you guys know, um, you know, there's something you get into this, like you just get into this place when you're running and there's something spiritual about it especially when you're doing these long training runs. I look back on that experience, you know, and crossing that finish line in 2007 was such an emotional experience for me, not because I ran 26.2 miles, but because I was almost like, crap, like I did it and Travis wasn't here, right? And why didn't I say yes to him? a thousand times before when he had asked me to do something like this with him. And so like, that was my biggest regret about that whole experience that, and, and just in general about a lot of different experiences that I didn't embrace them when he was here. And so for me now, the way I look at life is like, I'm never not going to embrace these experiences. I'm never going to say no. And a lot of times before Travis was killed, I would say no because of, you know, risk of failure. I didn't want to fail at something. I didn't want something to be too hard. And now I, I embrace things that I think I may fail at, or I think may be too hard. Yeah, that's strong. Yeah, yeah, it's really strong. And the, the, the connection point about, you know, therapy along the way and the, the self-reflection along the way and the connection to your brother, um, that I've talked about it more than once, so I'm not even going to get into it, but I can totally relate to that on countless levels. And it's true and it's real and it's awesome. Um, there's two things we got to get into right now, Joe. I mean, the, she just sets you up beautifully for, for your every podcast, you know, what, what do you do during every podcast, Joe? Well, yeah, I, I pitch participating in the Marine Corps Marathon because it's the people's marathon and it's a great time. So if you're listening or watching this and you're a, a Spartan runner, you know, uh, Travis Main Foundation is looking for runners. And there's also a, a neat little option this year to, to push an angel rider. And if you're an angel rider or an angel runner already, you can email me, joe at org, and see a bunch of Spartans and a bunch of angels uh, in October. Yeah, and it wouldn't be the first time that it happened. We had an inaugural experience with that. And uh, Ryan, I'd love you to talk to us about like that. That what did you experience your first time, kind of pushing uh, what was a stranger um, that became a friend at the uh, 2022 Marine Corps Marathon when you joined us for that journey? Yeah, you know, it's funny because again, we look back to 2016, Joe, when I met you at the starting line. So. Um, that first group in 2007 that ran was, um, there was probably 50, 60 of us, right? And we weren't the Travis Mannion Foundation. Um, we were just a bunch of people running for a fallen Marine, 
right? We weren't raising money. We weren't some official charity partner. It was just all of us really doing what I was doing, like honoring my brother and doing something to challenge ourselves and, and while doing it. And so, and one of the individuals that wanted to participate was my cousin, Lauren, who was born with cerebral palsy. Um, my dad's youngest brother, Chris, um, his, and, and he was, he was, a a all American, uh, wrestler as well. He was my brother's mentor. And so, and he's just a beast. And so he was like, well, let's figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll push Lauren. He would get out there with, again, this like adult jogging stroller that like, I mean, it, it was bad. Um, it was like, it was bad. And he would push her the entire 26 miles by himself. And it was just this thing that Chris did with his niece. Um, and then it was in 2016 where he was like, listen, I'm like 55 years old. You know, my age is catching up with me. This thing pulls to the left every time you you, you touch the handle. Uh, the spokes are coming off. I need some help. You know? And that's where I met Joe at the starting line. He, I think, felt sorry for us because he saw what we were pushing my cousin in and, you know, gave me his card and was like, hey, we may have something a little bit better for, for your cousin. Um, I did the first leg with them and I'll remember when they were like, you're up. And I took over and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is tough, but I never, I'll never forget like actually looking and seeing for 26 miles, my cousin Lauren has the biggest smile on her face because it's just like, you know, and so that feeling for me, I, I fell in love with this idea of being a part of that. And so last year, when you guys were looking for additional runners, and, and I, I remember when Chris, our special events director, was like, hey, Ansley's Angels need some more people to help push. And I was like, I'm in. Like, I, I want to be a part of that. And just to be up at that starting line and to see, again, the smiles from everyone who is about to get pushed across that, that starting line to start the race. Um, and what I love so much is just the energy from the crowd is just, you know, I mean, it's the people's marathon, Joe, as you said, you know, that's, that's, that's part of what gets you through. It's amazing. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like if you're going to, if you're going to get into a marathon and then you take that extra step and you're helping someone else cross the finish line, like there's nothing, there's nothing better than that. Um, it's awesome. I mean, I, I, there's a couple of your riders still write to me on Instagram and, you know, it's just, it's an incredible experience what you guys have created and what you, the opportunity you bring um, to all these individuals is, is super special. Yeah. I mean, the, the same for you and, and TMF. I mean, that's why it's, you know, a beautiful relationship that we're, you know, slowly forming like said, but i mean going back to mcm like yeah i mean the the cannon the flyover the the parachuters coming in like there is no better at least that i've experienced um you know starting line of of any race and i've been at the starting line of boston and some ironman and that but that man you see it, and there's videos out there of like our riders sitting there and they're they're so excited to get going like during the national anthem or the parachuting where like the chair's moving yeah. And the brakes and the brake is on. And then that cannon goes off and and that's it. And you like you said, 26.2 miles of smiles. And there's there's well, nothing better. It's funny too, because like Chris, our special events director, she was like, listen, like we're and she knows I like to just kind of like go. She's very thoughtful about like, okay, listen, 
you know, we, we need to be at like an 11 minute pace, I think is a good pace for us. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get out of the gate. And I took the, I'm like, I'm taking the first mile, right? We get out of the gate and we get done the first mile. She's like, that was under eight minutes. And I don't run it under eight minute mile, like in general. Right. And she's like, we need to slow down, you know, but it's just that adrenaline is pumping so hard and you just, you know, you can't help, but just get out there. Rooster knows that, uh, out the gate very, very, very well. Probably, probably the best, uh, best around at it. Yeah, Ryan, I'm guilty. You know, eight, nine minutes out the gate, and then suddenly I'm running 16-minute miles at mile 17. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's Guilty. probably our last mile was, for sure. Yeah. Well, on that note, I'm going to just say it's Miller time. It's cheers time. It's time for us to grab a beverage of your choice. It doesn't matter what it is. And if you're tube-fed, you know, turn back to your caregiver, slap them in the face, turn the machine on. We want everybody to be included in this experience. So, Joe, what, what are you going to drink for Miller time here on episode 31 of St. Patrick's Day week? Um just it's coffee it's okay it's uneventful for now you know fair it's early fair. <laughs> ryan wh- ryan what are you what are you going with um i mean i'm super boring i'm going with but but i'll i'm going with uh just a polar flavored seltzer and it's my guilty pleasure um it's i mean it's 10 30 in the morning or i'd be drinking a beer with you guys right okay fair fair um i have my cover my koozie here um and of course it's got the shield so nobody can really see what's in here so it might be one of those travis Mannion foundation beers that you can get at the philadelphia phillies games i mean come on ryan what's that all about how did you get your own beer well, we actually had a local brewer started brewing up, like, if not me, then who brew, and would put them in, like, glass growlers and brought them over to our office and was like, hey, this is my new brew named after your brother, if not me, then who. And, you know, it, it, it had no logo or anything on it. We'd be like, oh, this is great. Then he made the cans. And then he started distributing locally in, you know, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Delaware, you could buy it. And then it was actually our our um, marketing team was like, we have a relationship with Aramark and went to Aramark and was like, hey, we've got this cool beer. And they they formed the partnership and they took it on. And it was so cool. You know, it it was supposed to happen last year, but because of COVID, things got delayed. And so, you know, this year it gets into the stadiums and then our Philadelphia Phillies go on the run of a lifetime. So, you know, everyone's going down to the game, like getting the beer. It was awesome. It was very cool. So the Phillies and the Eagles runs were powered by, if not me, then who beer. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Up until the last games. Well, we're not talking about the last games here. Joe's just like, oh, this is supposed to be an upbeat podcast. Yeah, um, but the, speaking, I did see the Phillies got uh, a new, um, this is code for a uh, big screen. Um, yes, it's like, humongous. Like, it, I saw a picture of like, it's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of podcasts, um, Ryan, you have your own podcast and you have 61 episodes, which is exactly 30 more than us. We'll see if we can ever catch you. But okay. uh, so the resilient life. Would you like to talk about the podcast and maybe tell us why you started it? Sure. I mean, I, I actually I started the podcast um, during COVID, being able to have another platform to kind of talk about the work we do at the Travis Manning Foundation, but also bring in interesting guests 
to, you know, share their stories of resilience. And when I started the podcast, it was the most uncomfortable thing for me. Uh, in fact, I don't even, if you, if you start listening to the resilient life podcast, start from like episode 15, because well, like, you know, well, it was, it was mandated that I listened to episode three with Tosh. So I, oh. I, yeah. So I did hear one of the older ones, but I, you know, to your, to your, to your point, Joe and I would say the same thing. Like we've got some great guests in our early on, but we feel like we've come so far yeah. in the, yeah. Well, you know, and, and honestly, for me, it was like this idea. I was like, I can do this. You know, I do a ton of media, but I'd never been on the side of me driving the conversation, asking the questions. And, you know, I used to show up, like you say, we don't have any script. Like I used to show up with like my list of questions, like a ton of research, my list of questions. And I think about someone like Tosh, again, I, I don't remember the episode specifically, but like, I'd love to talk to Tosh today because I probably showed up very scripted and like stick to the script. Right. And I've gotten more comfortable and again, just having conversations with people. And I think that's, what's very appealing. Uh, when you're listening to podcasts, you want to hear these conversations that you don't really know what direction they're going to go in. Um, and that's the beauty of them. Right. And so I love doing it. Um, not every person I have on the podcast is affiliated with the Travis Manning Foundation, um, but they all have a story that relates back into the overarching idea of what we encompass and what we're trying to drive forward through the work that we do. We started out this the same way and we used to do not so much a script, but um, some key points. And we've come away from that a little bit because, I mean, at one point when we were coming up with names, we were going to go, uh, was it a uh, tangents and thoroughfares? Because there's just like, you know, the hamsters in your brain, shiny nickel. We didn't know what we were going to talk about and we wanted yeah. it to to not have that left and right lateral limit. Um, so it's neat to see that that someone else had the same experiences as we did starting a podcast. Uh, not too uh, long before us. Yeah. Yeah. One of the goals that is listed, if you go in, in deep dive and look into what the resilient life aims to accomplish, um, it's sharing lessons that listeners can use to face adversity more effectively and turn their challenges into opportunities for growth. I think we share in that objective. Again, everybody's got a story and hearing the story and how you triumph through it and how you overcome it um, can, can speak well to, to different ways that we, that we travel and move forward. Um, Ryan, I mentioned earlier, it's uh, March history, women paying, you know, paying attention to the accomplishments. And we've only kind of touched the surface of some of the things that, that you've accomplished and or have had an impact on in the world. Being in the in the Bush Institute for the inaugural Stand To class, you know, Lifetime Achievement Award from for 2015 on behalf of the president for volunteer service. I mean, there's... There, 2011 Commodore John Barry Distinguished Citizen Award, like basically a lot of accolades for things that, frankly, as you said a moment ago, started to occur after your brother's death mm -hmm. and that you hold some regret about why did it take me so long to get to that point? What have you figured out? Like, why, why did it take the 29th of April 2007 for this trigger, this switch? I, you know, I think for me that I, I, I think that wake up call for me, and I don't want to call it a wake up call, but like, I don't know that I ever would have had that moment in my life. I probably, 
um, listen, I was going to be successful. I was going to, you know, but, but it wasn't ever going to be something where I was pushing to be the best version of myself. Um, and, and that's why I share my story because I think if, if I had heard someone, um, and maybe I would have gotten to that point where I would have heard some eye-opening story that someone talked about, like, when tragedy struck and how they moved forward. And so I'm out there trying to share my story again for others to, I I spoke last week at, I was in Connecticut and I was speaking to an HVAC company and I was giving a, a, I talked about struggling well too. And it was interesting, speaking of Women's History Month, this was on Women's Empowerment Day was last week. I walked up onto the stage and I looked out and I'm like, holy crap, there is not a woman in this audience. It's all men. And for, I was so tempted to be like, well, thank you for inviting me on Women's Empowerment Day to speak to this largely male audience. I didn't say it, but I left and I was like, you know, that was pretty freaking cool that I, that they picked me, a female, to be their keynote speaker. They could have gone and, you know, hired Jocko to come and, you know, get them real riled up, but like they picked me. And, and I thought that was not about it being me, but more about it being a woman. I I thought that was really, really kind of cool. But afterwards, um, one of the gentlemen in the audience came up to me and because I talk a lot about like my knock at the door and, you know, I'm also quick to say that like every one of you is going to get a knock at the door. It may not be a literal knock like I got, but in some way, shape or form, you're going to have a knock at the door. And like, are you going to be ready for that knock? And how are you going to respond to that knock? And, you know, for the most part, we can all, we can all like tie back to like our knock. The other thing I say is like, you're not just going to get one knock in your lifetime. You know, I had a knock at the door in in 2007. And then less than five years later, I had another knock when my mom died, you know, pretty suddenly. So But this gentleman came up to me and he was probably in his late fifties. And he said, you know, I really appreciated your, really appreciated your talk. And I have to tell you, like, I've never had a knock at the door. Like my, my life has been pretty uneventful in terms of any sort of adversity. And I wanted to say, man, consider yourself lucky. Like, wow. Like you made it this far, but he said, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to think about that that is going to come at some point. And so again, I think I didn't think about that knock at the door. I never thought about that knock at the door before losing Travis. Now I think about it every day. And I think about it in a way of like, I'm not gonna squander the the time that I have left um, with anything but living a fulfilling life each and every day, right? And I And I wish I would have had that before, but I didn't. Um, so in addition to being a podcast host, I have to point out, you are an author. The the knock at the door is the name of your book for anybody who doesn't know it's, it's amazing. And you had a few other co-authors with you on that, that talk about their knock at the door experience, but there's a quote in there. Every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. So like that message is you may not have had your knock, but your knock's coming. And are you prepared for it? Yeah. It's huge, Joe. Yeah, I mean, that's the 
I mean, you both have it. It's, I guess, in that, uh, was it the Delaware River uh, water from up there that came to New Jersey uh, and, and Philly thing. But it's, I, I talk about it all the time, and I think it's, it's a, a connecting point between Rooster and I, but uh, the movie Rocky, right? I mean, like, that's, he, that dude got knocked a lot physically and emotionally and kept going. Um, so I, I think that's a testament to, like, both of your upbringings. But, I mean, this city of Philadelphia at large, I mean, you can't think of Philly and not think of Rocky and be remiss if I didn't mention Rocky uh, yeah. podcast with both of you. Yeah. Ryan, I was born about 40 minutes from Veterans Stadium and went to many Phillies games before I moved to Louisiana at age nine. So Joe's convinced there's something in the water up there. I mean, there is for sure, you know, and and, and it's, it, you know, I didn't live here until I was a teenager in the Philadelphia area, but like my parents were from here. So I yeah. grew up like I've got pictures of me in Camp Lejeune at 10 months old wearing a Eagles hat, you know, that my dad threw on my head. So we, we've always, I've always had this sense of pride for you know the Phillies and the Philadelphia area um we I actually have a great picture Travis it was when he was home between his first and his second deployment um he was out at dinner in Philadelphia with my parents and Stallone comes into the restaurant and so I've got this great picture of Travis <clears throat> and Sylvester Stallone so of course you do of course yeah. you do Travis Mannion yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So 61 episodes of the podcast, the the book, the you know, the veteran service organization known as the Travis Manion Foundation, a mother, um, a, a dedicated, you know, wife to her husband. I mean, the list goes on, accolades out the wazoo. It's uh it's super uh, important, I think, that we highlight the accomplishments of that humans make on other humans. And we just so happen to have this thing called, you know, women's history month that we could tie it to. And it's neat and it's in a little bow and it's like, this is good. But at the end of the day, Ryan, it's about humans being good to humans, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, when we talk about, when I talk about the Travis Mannion foundation, um, my mom started the organization and she she was a military spouse, right? So like her entire career and, and again, never appreciated the, the job and the important role that she had until I was older. But like, there is nothing more admirable than being a military spouse. And I think about now, like, God, my husband was like, we're moving here. Now we're moving here. I'd be like, the hell we are, you know, like just that she offered that support to our family. Like she was the backbone. She made sure we got situated in our new surroundings, that, that the kids were involved and were able to make friends, that there was dinner on the table every night, that the household was running uh, smoothly. Like those are so important to your, your upbringing. And, and so, but she never had her own career. So, you know, it's different today. And I love that we've embraced military spouses and we hire a ton of them at the Travis Manning Foundation. And, you know, we have we have women that are living in Germany right now and they work for us. And, you know, they'll be coming back to Virginia Beach in June. Um, and, and we give them that opportunity to have a career no matter where they go. That didn't exist in the 80s and 90s. Right. So when my, when we moved, my mom would take up being a teacher's aide, or she would be the receptionist at a dentist's office. Like every time we moved, she had a new little role that she took on. Um, but when she started the foundation, this was the first time where we saw her like really dive into something in, in a big way. And 
and we always looked at it in the beginning. I remember vividly my dad being like, you know, your mom wants to do this Travis Manning Foundation. I think it's good for her. Like we looked at it as like a good thing for her. Never did we look at it as like, yeah, we're all in. Like none of us were all in except for my mom. This was my mom's thing. And we saw it probably more so as like a, a memorial, a memorial fund in the Philadelphia area, you know. A lot of times when when you lose someone, especially young, you see these scholarships pop up and the loved in the, the the person's name. And and she was doing that. Like she did a scholarship at my brother's high school. She did stuff down at the Naval Academy. And we were like, this is great way for her to channel her grief. And I always say that, like. My dad and I jumped on the bandwagon when my mom really started to like all of a sudden we were like whoa what's she doing like there's actually some big things happening here and that's when we started to get involved and you know but still it was her thing and I ended up joining the Travis Manning Foundation officially as an employee uh it wasn't until 2010 um so she had been running it from 2007 to 2010 and she actually was hiring for an executive director and she put out an official search for executive director. And I sent in my resume uh, to careers at travismanion.org, like didn't tell them. And I sent it in. And I would say there was zero nepotism involved, but I was just the best qualified candidate for the job. That's a joke. I was certainly not. I'm laughing. Thank you for telling me that's a joke. Cause I did, I was like, wait, what, what just happened? No, that was totally a joke. My mom was no, like, okay, I guess I'll hire you. Right. So like, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, but of course I was like, mom, I want to come work with you. So I came on, I started working with her and it was right away. It was instantaneous. What I felt being a part of the organization. And so what I learned is that the best way for us to channel our grief was to serve others. And I felt tremendous healing with that. And so that's something that we wanted to give back to others to be able to have that same opportunity. Um, it's especially encompassed in the work we do with families of the fallen. Um, we take them on service expeditions uh, all across the country uh, for a week to serve and give back. In the beginning at the Travis Manning Foundation, we used to fund a lot of things. So we still get calls today from organizations looking to get a grant from us. And we're like, no, 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 we run our we run our own programs now. Right. But initially, my mom would look for like best in class programs and invest in them. And because um, our model was a little bit flipped because. After Travis was killed. You know, we started the in lieu of flowers, give to the Travis Manning Memorial Fund first. And so we had all this money, but didn't really know what we were going to do with it. Right. So she started investing in best in class programs. And one of them was for families of the fallen. And they were these seminars and they would host them all across the country, but there wasn't any in the Philadelphia area. And um, my mom was like, well, I'm going to put up, you know, the $50,000 to host one of these. I want families of the fallen in the tri-state area to be able to get this, this seminar. So she, we hosted it and I was sitting there and it was right after Travis's roommate, Brendan Looney had been killed in Afghanistan. So his wife, Amy, who's now our vice president came 
and we were at this seminar together and there was about a hundred people in the room, all gold star families. And there was a psychiatrist that got up and she walks into the room and she has this toilet paper coming out the back of her pants. And it was like this, and she, she's like, oh, excuse me. You know, it was, it was all part of the app. So she was like a grief specialist. And she said, do you know why this toilet paper is here? Because it's okay if you cry every day for the rest of your lives. And Amy and I immediately turned to each other and we were like, no, it's not. Like we both were like, no, like, no, like, listen, I have my days, I cry, you know, but no, it's not okay if we cry every day for the rest of our lives. Like, that's not what my brother wanted. And so we left that seminar and we're like, we've got to flip the model on how we learn to work through our grief. And it's not like being in this perpetual bubble of grief. It's getting outside of ourselves and giving back and working through our grief that way. And so that's in essence, you know, for me, there's so many things we do at the Travis Manning Foundation. But in essence, for me, it's about like how we get outside ourselves and 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 think less about like our own crap that we're dealing with and and think about others. Right. And I have found such healing through being able to serve others that are so much less fortunate than me. Yeah, that's <clears throat> I like the idea of the model being flipped and Rooster mentions it all the time. And I don't know, Rooster, if you got this from uh, that grief camp, but uh, the acronym MAGIC, you know, uh, my active grieving instills courage, right? So like, that's what you're, you can actively grieve without cry, but you're instilling that courage in yourself and into these other gold star families to like continue to move forward type of thing. So that's neat to to see the similarity there. Yeah, the, the quote, you know, the best way to channel our grief was to serve others. That's the revelation that you all have. And and again, Ryan, many, many connection points on just the, the idea of that and and frankly, the execution of that. Um, you mentioned this idea of, of running in a marathon and training for a marathon. Well, I, I after Ainsley died, like I was on a run streak, meaning I had to run one mile every day. And there was some question amongst the people that flooded our homes, you know, the day Ainsley died, like, hmm. They never said it, but they were thinking it. Is Rooster going to go for a run now? And, and and you're damn right I am, because the second I put the shoes on and stepped out, that's when I could just have this amazing just connection with Ainsley. And, and that continued that streak for almost 1,500 days in a row. Why? Because I was channeling my grief through this service of my own well-being and physical and mental state so that I could then be a successful president of her legacy by giving and serving others. And so I'm connecting to that in a lot of points. And I hope there's just somebody out there that can hear you say it and connect in a different way than maybe they heard have heard me say it. It's basically the same thing, but don't allow that grief to bring you to a place where you cry every day in a dark place. Right. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of crying every day. Right. That, there's a and and your point is there's a difference between crying every day in a dark, dark place of of somber and darkness versus, you know, feeling all the feelings, but doing it as you empower others too. Yeah. 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 And it's beautiful. Wow. 
That was fun. I knew we'd get there. I knew the conversation would naturally take us and we would get to this point of just like stuff that folks can really, really use and, and perhaps benefit from. Ryan, you used the term gold star family a couple times. And obviously all of us, uh, the three of us are very aware of what that means. But would you educate those listening? What is a gold star family? Sure. So uh, a gold star family is um, a family who has lost their loved one in service to this country. So um, while serving, um, you know, my brother was killed in Iraq. Uh, there's also, um, I think, you know, more so now that we are in a, I say peacetime, we'll see. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's men and women every single day that are losing their lives in training accidents, you know, and it's something that, that you don't think of a lot. But, but every day, um, men and women are putting their lives on the line. Um, while in our nation's uniform. And so those families that are left behind are are called gold star families. Perfect. Thank you for that. And the Travis Manion Foundation aims to take those gold star families and to do what for and with them. We aim to give them the same opportunities that we give to the veterans uh, that are part of our organization. And I think that's the one thing that's unique about the Travis Manning Foundation is there are a ton of veteran service organizations across the country. Um, but I can think of no other and, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that offer programs uh, and invite not just veterans, but Gold Star families to be a part of it as well. I'd imagine that the cohort you went through, you had some Gold Star families in your Spartan Leadership Program. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because I said the same thing. There are no, there is no other program or entity in in the world that takes these two populations and puts them together. And I'm I'm reminded of my first night with cohort two of the Spartan Leadership Program in Atlanta. I had an amazing conversation with one of my cohort mates, and then I went up to the bar to get a beer, and Camille Miner was standing there, and she was our leader for that, and still is today for SLP. And I said, Camille, I just have to tell you. Like, this is right. Like, I never knew that what I was going to receive out of this was going to be these relationships and perspectives from these gold star spouses and, and parents. This is the mix. And, and from that day on, I've just been the, the hugest fan of, of the mission of the foundation because it, it's, it is so beautiful. And as, as a grieving father, like I, I've often tried to figure out, like, where is the place? Where can I connect? But when I was having conversations with my cohort mates and now have been able to stay involved with SLP all through the rest of the cohorts. In fact, I'm going to see you in Atlanta next month for the kickoff of cohort five. These are the relationships that and the conversations that really help with the grief process and, and give us meaning. So, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I, I love the mission. Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know. We do so many things and and it's the blessing and the curse of the Travis Manion Foundation because we don't have some catchy wounded warrior project or hire heroes, right? It's very evident um, what what they do. For us, it was like, what is the Travis Manion Foundation? I, I sh I've shared this story a couple times, but it was after my mom had passed, my dad approached me and said, hey, you know, I've been thinking I think we should change the name. And I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, I don't know. We're getting bigger. And I just think maybe we like change the name into, you know, something else. And I said, well, dad, why, why do you want to change the name? And for him, it was because he was like uncomfortable having it like his son's name. Like 
you know, Travis wouldn't wanted his name to have gotten this big, like, and it just be about this one individual. Like, and my dad always says, like, I don't ever want it to just be about Travis, right? And so I responded, I was like, Dad, listen, number one, like, we, we're not changing the name. Like, we're, we're too, we're way past that point. Like, we can't change the name. And I said, but I also want you to think about it this way. Like, don't think about it as in, like, my son's name, right? It's, I don't want my, it to be all about my son. Think about it as, like, your son represents this generation of men and women who have stepped up to serve. And that, when I think about our organization and our name and what we represent, like, Travis gives a face and a name to this entire generation of warriors. And I think that's powerful. But when you can put up like an individual and a face on a screen and say, this is Travis Mannion, right? And he's just one of thousands and thousands of men and women that have served in this post 9-11 generation. It makes it real for people. So I appreciate that like you may not automatically understand what the Travis Mannion Foundation does just by, you know, the Travis Mannion Foundation. What is that? Well, and you know what? I think that's that's the perfect entree to like, come on in and let us show you. Right. And and we promise you that you're going to become a part of what we're doing. Well, like the idea of uh, your dad wanting to change the name is, is kind of funny. Right. Because Rush and I have conversations about stuff like that all the time, not necessarily change the name. But what if we did this? And it's like, uh you know, stop. It's a lot of paperwork, time, rebranding type of thing. Um, but what's unique about both TMF and Angels is this is a like a generational wealth type of thing. This is going to get passed on from, you know, potentially kids, cousins, brothers, sisters, families down, because at some point all three of us are not are, you know, not going to be here. And you two have built both of these organizations to last way past that. So, you know, that's the the hook for for both you know missions and visions of, of each organization is hey come on in because we're not going anywhere we'll, well show yeah you what we i mean do. it's the same for rooster like you know ansley's angels like people want to know like who's ansley this beautiful face to the special needs community you could be like special needs adaptive riders foundation right and it would just be like okay you like i get it but um but there there's something that uh attracts people to this personal connection to your daughter and 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 what she represents yeah you're right and you mentioned you know thousands of people who who are that generational connection you know to travis and i i never had the honor of meeting travis but i do know that his career path um from the naval academy and becoming an officer like i, I was prior enlisted and made the transition from enlisted to officer around the same time that he was wrapping up his his academy journey and had a chance to go to iraq on one deployment and then come back to the States and did another deployment with a Marine Expeditionary Unit. But that second deployment so could have been a mobile training team. And I so could have been in Western province there of Iraq and Al-Anbar doing exactly what, what Travis was doing. And, and when you know the story of Travis and then you make the connection and say, oh, my gosh, like, gosh, that is so close. Like April 29, 2007, where was I? Oh, my gosh, I was on my second deployment on the MU like literally supporting him on the ground and that could have been me. And then you have that connection. And so with Ainsley, it's like, there's, gosh, did you know one 
billion people in the world have a special need, whether it's visible or invisible. She's able to represent that one billion people to show them the possibilities yeah. of, of how we can go forward. So it's, it is beautiful. And I, I, like you said to your dad, we're not changing the name. And like Joe and I will say to anybody on the board that brings this to us, we're not changing the name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Not to mention my wife, you know, she do what? <laughs> you, you, you've already kind of changed the logo a little bit here and Ainsley's in one of them, but not in another one. Like, what do you mean you're going to change the name? No, no, that's not going over. Um, speaking of the logo, uh, I have, I gave a, a character does matter session last month to a, last week to a group of sergeants and staff sergeants. And I asked the question, how many of you are combat veterans? One hand went up and 40 Marines. And so we're, we are moving. It's a new generation. And so I have two questions for you. One, where did the Travis Mannion Foundation logo come from? And I am aware of the initials, but I'd like for you to talk about that. And two, if you're not a veteran of a foreign war or a gold star, is there still a place in your organization? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the, um, the logo story. So when when we were forming, like my mom was filling out the 501c3 paperwork, we need a logo. Well, you know, Travis was borderline obsessed with the Spartan culture. Um, you know, when he, when his footlocker came back from Iraq, he had like a copy of Gates of Fire in it. And it was all marked up with highlights and notes in the margins. Like, I mean, he was using it as like, he was studying it. He wasn't just reading it. And then it was during that time that actually the movie 300 had come out. Um, it was in the movie theaters at the time, but they had like a bootleg copy in Iraq. And they were all saying that like Travis was like watching the movie every night. They're like, yeah, you like stole the DVD and he would watch it every single night. And he even made reference to like, to my dad, like dad, for me, it's like, we're like the modern day Spartans. Like there's no greater honor than to serve and protect this country. Right. So a lot of Spartan references. And so our first logo, um, I actually pulled off of Google was Trojan sideways helmet, like, you know, Michigan there, isn't that their logo like that? It yeah, was probably yeah. the Michigan logo. Honestly, yeah. I literally pulled it off of Google and, and then it was in like 2012, I think we had that logo for a little bit and we were working with a marketing company out of Atlanta. So they said, Hey, you know, we want to like help you with a little bit of a logo redesign and rebranding. And I was like, if offended, I'm like, what's wrong with our logo? It's <laughs> I pulled it off of Google images. And um, so there's probably a ton of copyrights and a lot of our early t-shirts and, and merchandise, but they were like, well, just give us a chance. You know, we, we understand you like the Spartans. So they actually came to Philadelphia and they gave us this presentation. It was this video that like all these images like coming together. And then like at the end, you know, it was probably like a two minute video. And at the end, like there's this T and like the T's coming down from the top of the screen and then the M's coming from the bottom and they fit together to make this Spartan helmet. And then the shield like forms around it. And that was our logo. And I looked at my dad and I was like, holy shit, that's good. Yeah. And, and that was it. And it was like, of course, this logo is way better. So um, so that that that's still our logo today. And I love it. And, you know, and not everybody automatically notices that's, that it's a T and an M either. Like, that's not super evident to people. 
but it was it was a great it was a humbling experience to realize that there are people that are a lot better than this kind of stuff than I am. Um, but and your second question in terms of like, you know, when I say the beauty of our organization is that we've got veterans and gold star families together, you know, we're, we're made up. We've got about one hundred and fifty thousand members across the country. Almost half of them are civilians. And so like, yeah, there is 100% a place for you within the Travis Manning Foundation. You know, there's less than 1% of our population that's serving in the military. And, you know, if you turn like, again, when I moved to suburban Philadelphia, I didn't, nobody else's parents were serving in the military. I didn't know service members. And I used to live on military bases where everybody served, right? And my dad talked about it when my dad's like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, it was the, the generation of World War II veterans were everywhere. He's like, my teacher was a veteran. The butcher was a veteran. My baseball coach was a veteran. Everyone was a veteran, right? So there wasn't this like divide between like the civilian world and the military world that heavily exists today. And, and because of that, I think there's a lot of stigmas that exist. And, you know, there's a lot of issues that have, that afflict our, our, our veteran community. But if you're a civilian sitting back in your house and you're watching TV, all you're going to see is like veterans with missing limbs or veterans are facing like have severe mental issues. They can't find jobs like, um, well, yeah, th those things are true. Th th those are things that affect our, our military community. But the vast majority of our veteran population are, are fall somewhere in the middle. And they're looking for continued opportunities to serve. So what better way for us to give that back to them and to also call on our civilian population to join them in that charge? So we always say, and I'm sure you've heard this, like our programs do not exist if veterans are not leading them. Like veterans lead our programs. We're not handing out to veterans. We're not giving direct services to veterans. We're actually saying to veterans, hey, help us run our organization because you are the lifeblood of what we do. And, and if you can bring your communities together and bring some civilians and to be a part of that, they will naturally learn about the greatness of our men and women that serve. Those stigmas will be will go away. And um, and it'll bring communities together in a way that you, you that's never been done. So we always say one community at a time. That's what we're all about here. Each and every community. And, and if veterans are coming in, they're identifying as veterans and they're saying, this is how we're going to step up to serve this community and join us. Um, that That's what we're doing. So 100 uh, percent, tons of ways for civilians to be involved. Fun, fun uh, fact, because I did not know about the original logo, but if you go, if you like Google it now, you got to scroll for a while to see it. So I think all of your uh, copyright concerns are probably okay now. It's, it's way, it's way down you there. You found it? You found the old yeah. logo? Yeah. That's yeah. That's it's de definitely out of like Michigan State, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Our, our original logo started from my niece just doodling and she wrote an A for Ainsley and then put some wings on the end of it. And so yeah. we just expanded that a little bit. And she's now um, uh, studying to become a, an RN in college. Madison is her name. And that's the co-founder's daughter. And so it's kind of neat to see those connection points of how it started back. Yeah. Um, 
Ryan, this has been a blast. I, I, I know you're very busy, as are all of us, um, but thank you for taking the time. Uh, I, we always like to ask our guests, if you know, what do you want to leave the audience with? I think like what we're doing here today, I, I just, again, this is the beauty of, of community. Meeting Joe in 2016 at the starting line of the Marine Corps Marathon and then um, being able to meet you, you becoming a part of the work we do at the Travis Manion Foundation and being such an incredible volunteer leader within our organization. You know, I, I always bring it back to those five words that Travis spoke, right? If not me, then who? And um, I will tell you that every single day, I wake up and challenge myself to have an if not me, then who moment. And it's a moment where I lead by example. Thinking about those little moments each and every day is how we prepare ourselves for those big moments when they really count. And, you know, you guys are such incredible examples of how you get outside of yourself and you take those five words and and you apply them. Um, Because I see the stuff you guys do daily, right? Uh, you know, there's these big moments where we show up and these grand moments at the Marine Corps Marathon, but that doesn't happen without the little moments in between. So, um, so I thank you guys. And I, and I love, you know, just that we're sitting here today, the three of us, we're having this conversation and, and again, so many connection points. And I think it just shows how, how small the world is and how connected we truly are um, and how we each have an opportunity to, to grow from, from, all of our experiences and all of our stories. And, and thank you um, for continuing to share your stories. Um, and, and especially for you, Rooster, the story of your daughter and what you do. Um, it's incredible. So I thank you both. Uh, you know what? I got, got enough. Time. He's in charge. <laughs> we're done. This was good. Yeah, we're done here. <laughs> uh, the structure of this building has reached its capacity. Find your people. And if they make you feel sexy, even better.